But anyone who listens to what I say and does nothing about it is, is like a stupid man who built his house upon the sand. Build your life like you build a house on deep foundations. Don't just take the easy way, take the hard way. Listen to my words. Let them go deeper and deeper. Open your hearts and minds to the truth. Be ready for the day when trouble comes, when difficulties arise and terrible storms rage all around you. Build your house on the rock. Hello, 1030 service. It's good to be with you. My name's Danny. I'm a pastor here. Uh, and uh, I, I'm just so glad that you're here. Uh, you heard lots of exciting things already this morning with our Wings of Refuge event last night, which went so well. And um, I think some of you maybe came to the 1030 specifically because we just had way too much fun last night and just lasted really, really long. I also want to say uh, hello to our high school students who are at our retreat this weekend. They joined with our, yeah, let's give God praise for them. I promise they are the most tired people here today, but, but they are here. Uh, they were with our Grimes and Waukee campuses, right, at Riverside yesterday, and in Hope Elam as well, which is just awesome. We've got a great student ministry. They meet on Sunday nights, so whether they are a junior high student or a senior high student, we'd love to plug them in. Uh, I really like this 1030 service. Uh, turn to the person next to you and say, you, you choose wisely. Um, our, our nine o'clock... I don't know how to explain it. It's getting, a, you can start to feel the breath of the people behind you during the service. So you guys just get to relax and wind out. And I, there's a little bit more of a laid back feel to this. Please don't tell the nine o'clock I'm saying any of this. <laughs> is, I love the nine o'clock service, but the 1030, you got to come out and I get to sit in a stool. You know what I mean? Like just relax with you all a little bit. But I do get pretty excited, so I can't promise I'll stay seated for very long. We have a series that we're in uh, called Luke for Lent. And you saw in the opening clip there um, an illustrated version of what you heard in the Bible reading from this morning. Let's go ahead and hop in right away. This is in Luke chapter 6, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 47. You heard this from Denise as she read it. I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. I want to invite you all to read the second sentence that's on the screen right now with me. Are you ready? On the count of three. One two, three. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. And then I'll continue. It says, when the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it's well built. Jesus is telling people, some of you will hear it, but those of you who really listen to it, you've got something to stand on. You've got a firm foundation. There's a difference between hearing something and actually listening to it. And Jesus points this out in the next part of this passage when he gives a bit of a warning. He says, but anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When floods sweep down against the house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. That's a difficult warning to hear, but it makes sense what Jesus is saying. It's not just about the sound waves of Jesus' words hitting your ears. It's actually responding to them. And Jesus is saying when you respond to it, you're building your life on something that will actually last. 
something that will not erode away easily. Now, sand and simply just inconsistent foundations, there's nothing inherently wrong with them. It's just that they don't last. They break apart very easily. Jesus wants to give us something more sustainable for our life. He wants us to have something that has integrity. When we think about integrity, oftentimes we think about people with high morals or standards, but there's actually something deeper about this word integrity. There are two simple definitions for it. The first one is the quality of being honest, moral uprightness. And the second definition is actually where the origins of this word were founded in, in the English language. The state of being whole and undivided. In other words, it's something that is consistent. Jesus says, I want you to build your house on a firm foundation. Build your life on the rock. Don't build your life on something that's going to erode away. Now, what Jesus is talking about specifically here is actually pretty surprising. He's talking about integrity, but he doesn't ever actually say the word integrity, does it? Instead, if you bounce back just a little bit in Luke chapter 6, in a passage that comes just before this, he says the opposite of integrity, and he says, I don't want you to be like that. And he's talking about judgment. And I think that we'll see how building our house on a firm foundation actually lines up very well with what Jesus is saying. Jesus is preaching a sermon here. This is known as the Sermon on the Plain. And maybe you hear that you're like, wait, I thought Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. That's in the book of Matthew. Now he says some of the same, he says some of the same things in the same way that at the nine o'clock service, I said some of these things. And maybe I'll, you know, etch out some of the things that didn't work out so well. We'll see about that. Maybe I'll add a few more things. I, I don't know. We could be here till 1230 if you want. But anyway, this is the Sermon on the Plain. He's using some of the same material, um, but he's speaking to a different group of people. And here he says, don't judge others. We hear that, don't judge others, and we like that. Wouldn't it be wonderful to live in a world where there's not judgment, but instead people would accept one another and understand each other? But he kind of opens up our minds to a new understanding of judgment. He continues by saying, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? And then he shouts at them, hypocrite. <laughs> Jesus is both hilarious and bold in the same sentence. Now, you may not be uh, realizing it right away because sometimes when we read the Bible, we think it's so serious and it's so dull. But if you're reading this and you're just, you're, you're tempted to laugh, that's a good thing. Jesus is using some comedic, uh, some comedic imagery here. He's saying there's a speck in somebody else's eye. Meanwhile, somebody's walking around with a log in theirs. He's hilarious. This is stand-up comedy 101. He's kind of dry in his humor, but he's proving a point. He says this word, hypocrite. And he's saying that the hypocrite is someone who judges other people for something that they have going on in their life and completely missing what's going on in theirs. But there's something special about this word that is used for hypocrite. Here's what it looks like in biblical Greek. It's hypocrites, and it's not very hard to translate, is it? It sounds a lot like how we have it in English. And what it literally means is an actor. And maybe you hear that and you're like, oh, Hollywood, I knew it. They're all hypocrites. Not exactly what Jesus is talking about. An actor, a hypocrite, or a pretender. Now, in those days, an actor would go into the theater and they would wear a mask. And the mask would have one emotion on it. If they were playing a happy character, they would have a smile. If they were playing a sad character, they would have a frown. If they had an angry character, they would have a face that winks whatever face that is. But the point was this. The actor would go up and sell a part that did not necessarily line up with what was happening in their heart. That's what happens when you're on a stage. That's what happens when you're acting, when you're pretending. So I think that this is the way that we can understand what hypocrisy means according to Jesus. It's pretending. And hypocrisy is when we play a part that doesn't 
match our heart? Do you ever try to play a part in your life that's not matching what's actually happening in your life? Every single summer at Vacation Bible School, I had the opportunity to be in skits. And a couple of years ago, our theme was, uh, was outer space. And so in the skits, we got to put on these helmets. And I totally looked the part of an astronaut, right? I mean, maybe not really, right? Like, I, I'm just acting the part, but there's nothing in my heart that's actually an astronaut, is there? Now, I think that Jesus is saying, no matter what mask you're wearing, Jesus sees through it. In the same way that if you're a parent and you see your child wearing an astronaut helmet, you know that's not John Glenn, that's your five-year-old child. John Glenn was an astronaut that I did a report on when I was in like second grade, so he's a hero of mine anyway. And like, why do we do this? Why do we wear the mask? Because we're trying to sell something, right? We're trying to be someone, we're trying to convince others, maybe we're even trying to convince ourselves. What part, what mask are you wearing lately? Tell you what, I'm tempted to wear a mask all the time. Every single sermon I write, I am tempted to play a part. I want you to think I'm wise. I want you to think I'm funny. I want you to think I'm kind, but also relatable, you know? I like to think of my sermons, hopefully they would come across as pizza, something you might order from a nice Italian restaurant, but also something you'd have just with your friends in the basement, you know? It's like, I'm tempted to try to sell this part. And it's like Jesus is saying, take off the mask. This morning, I was very rudely reminded that sometimes I do not play the part of wise pastor very well at all. I had to go to the link, which is our midweek ministry space, and also where we have our offices, and I had to pick up my prop for the morning, right? As I was leaving the link with my prop in my hand and the Bible in the other, I get to my car and I realized my keys were still in the building. I go back to the door and, oh no, you know, I try the other door, they're all locked. I'm locked out of the building and and I mean, I'm not saying like church can't happen without me, but there'd be a really long, empty part in the service if I'm not here. I need to get to church. Meanwhile, this is Lincoln Way, right? A lot of cars drive by. I'm standing outside our link on Lincoln Way with a Bible in one hand, an astronaut's helmet in the other. And I'm just thinking about maybe people who are driving by and are skeptical of Christianity, like, oh my goodness, they've finally done it. I, <laughs> I knew it was a cult. <laughs> These freaks, right? Like, just pretending like they're going to outer space. They're actually wearing helmets there, Jeffrey. Can you imagine that? Jeffrey must have been in the car, right? And sometimes it's like these sudden reminders, like, okay, I'm just playing a part. Sometimes I don't have the most integrity, right? And not just because, like, I'm a hypocrite in this bad, immoral way. To be a hypocrite does not necessarily mean, like, a community leader who secretly behind closed doors is committing tax evasion, right? It's simply someone who's playing a part it doesn't have a heart that matches the same thing. Don't get me wrong, it is a nice strategy for the stage, but it's a terrible way to live our lives. It's not authentic and it's not real. Sometimes we're reminded of that in really harsh and quick and rude ways like I was this morning. Other times we just realize over time we're changing. Like we're not consistent people. It's not always a bad thing, but we live, we grow, we change. Uh, sometimes in my mind, I think I'm, I'm not changing. But then uh, back in the fall, I was reminded I'm, I'm changing. I had to go to El Paso, Texas to get a really quick passport in September uh, because my wife and I, we were leaving the country for uh, a Lutheran conference uh, over in Denmark. And uh, I, I realized that my passport was gonna expire within the amount of time that you couldn't have it expire within. Anyway, I'm telling myself, I'm like, why do I need a new passport? I mean, 20-year-old Danny Householder is the same as 30-year-old Danny Householder. <laughs> that's, that's just who I am. 
But then I got my new passport picture back and I realized I have changed. Thank you, Lord, for glow ups. Now, I've noticed two things about these. On the left, I look like I've committed a crime. On the right, I look like I've committed a crime and I'm happy about it. <laughs> but I think that it's actually kind of representative of life, isn't it? Like, we're, we're changing. We're growing. And in the same way that my face has changed, I mean, this chin does take about 30 years to develop. So there's been a lot of changes. But as we're changing, as we're growing, there are these highs and there are these lows. There are these inconsistencies. Not all are bad. But, but we're changing. I myself am not a firm foundation. All these different things that have happened in my life over the last 10 years, the best of which marrying Abby, I love you. Anyway, I just, I gotta, I gotta get my points when I can. Like all these different things are changing. They're happening for better or for worse. And they're part of making us who we are. But it's kind of reminding us, you're not the firm foundation, are you? And that's okay. It's okay to admit that. Jesus said in the passage just before this one, in Luke chapter 5, he talks about who he's come for. He says, those who, are well and have no need, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I'm reading that, I'm emphasizing the wrong words, let me start that over, ready? Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What's he saying? I haven't come for those who are pretending, those who are wearing a mask, they're going to miss me. He's come for them, but they're going to miss me. They'll hear me, but they won't listen to me. But those who know, man, I've been wearing a mask. I don't always have integrity. I'm a hypocrite. And it's not because I'm committing tax evasion behind closed doors. It's because sometimes I'm playing a part that just doesn't match my heart. Jesus says, that's good. I've come for you. Jesus is inviting us to be real. And that's not always easy for us these days because we've got all these apps on our phones. We've got all these filters, we've got all these strategies for how to write out a really nicely written post for Facebook. We can impress all of our friends and get 37 likes on average, right? There's a new social media app. And if you're young, I'm really sorry. I'm going to sound so old as I try to describe it. I don't have it downloaded. But now that we're talking about it, your grandparents are hearing this. So maybe they will download it and you can be friends like Snapchat. But anyway, there's this new app and it's called Be Real. And it encourages people not to put filters on stuff, not to write really long and lengthy and edited posts, but instead once a day, it sends you a notification and it says, it's time to be real. And then no matter what you're doing, you take your phone out and it takes a picture of you from the front and then it takes a picture of the other side of your phone at the same time. Now, I understand how that could be an awful thing as well, but in principle, don't you see how it's kind of a beautiful thing too? It's inviting people, hey, no filter. You don't have to prep. You don't have to pretend to be somebody. You don't have to wear a mask. You get to be real. I'm not saying that you have to download Be Real on your phone today. I'm not going to do it. But I do think that it's kind of like the invitation that Jesus is showing us. Enough with the filters. You don't have to be a hypocrite with me. You don't have to play a part that doesn't match your heart. You get to be authentically yourself. So let's consider that as we look at how Jesus is talking about judgment and how Jesus is talking about the way that we build our lives upon a solid, firm foundation. If we go back into Luke chapter 6, Jesus is saying this about those who are trying to correct others for the specks in their eye. He says, how can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Again, if this is making you giggle a little bit, it should. Imagine you have a tiny little thing in your eye. You're like, oh, this is bothering me. And I walk up to you like this. I'm like, don't worry, I'll get it out. What will you do? 
you'll run away from me so I don't poke you in the eye and make it worse. Now, there's something very special about what Jesus is saying here when he says, a log in your own eye. It's not just that you have something messed up with you too. It's actually the way that you're using that thing. It's like, I am projecting, right? I don't want you to look at this thing in my eye, and so instead I'm going to talk about the thing in your eye. Now, maybe for me, it's, I've got this thing in my eye, but it's not as bad as what, I ha what you have in your eye. It's like this comparison game, right? But there's something very interesting about the word that is used for log here. In the Greek, here's what it looks like. It's dokos. Everyone say dokos. And literally, it means a beam of timber or a log on which planks in the house rest. It's something that is supposed to serve as a bit of a foundation. And Jesus is saying that thing that's in your eye is actually the thing that you believe you've built your life on. And you're criticizing this speck in somebody else's eye, but the problem is you've got a foundational-sized beam in your eye, and you're telling yourself, this is actually what makes me me. It's a foundation for you. But it's not a foundation. It's actually stopping you from seeing the world for how it really is. You're taking something, you're calling it a foundation, and it's stuck in your eye. It's funny, it's hilarious, it's crazy. But it also makes us ask this question. What are you standing on? Like, what's your view of yourself? What do you believe it is that makes you you? That's the thing that we're standing on. It makes me think of a YouTube clip that I saw kind of recently. Take a look. I wore the wrong socks. Team one, take four. I wore the wrong socks. Have you tried the hot dogs here? <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't get my deposit back. And Wiper Mitsubishi is a proud sponsor of Golden Goat for Hockey. That poor polar bear. I, I like that clip for a few reasons. One, it fits into the sermon. Uh, but two, that car dealership is right next door to the church that I interned at when I was living in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, uh, during my seminary years. And three, when my mom and my dad were living in Minnesota during his seminary years, my mom worked for TCF Bank, and she ended up being the Golden Gopher mascot, which I think is just <laughs> amazing. She's not in that one. She wasn't ice skating or anything. But, but, I mean, what are you standing on? Are you standing on something that is secure, can support you? Or are you standing on something that's actually making you slip up? And it's like distorting your view of reality. You're telling yourself, this is what makes me me. This is what I'm standing on. This is my life. But, but it's actually distorting your view of reality. Here's a really good way to test that. Ask yourself this question. If I lost blank, would I still be me? This is a really good question to ask. If I lost blank, what could you fill in with the blank? If I lost the cyclones, would I still be me? Hopefully you could say yes, although there are some days where I'm like, yes, okay, I could still be me. Yeah, 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 all right. I mean, yesterday was great for both the men and the women. It was, I mean, go two and oh in one day, right? No, I could still be me, right? But then we start to think about some of the deeper things in our life. If I lost my job, would I still be me? If I lost my money, would I still be me? If I lost my favorite material possessions, would I still be me? If I lost my position in the community, would I still be me? If I lost my reputation, would I still be me? If what you're filling in that blank is something that could be taken away from you, it cannot be the thing that you build your foundation on. It might even be someone who's really important to you. 
Somebody told me when Abby and I were engaged, it's a really important question to ask. If you didn't have Abby in your life, would you still be you? And if she didn't have you in her life, would she still be her? And the reality is, if we are building our life on each other rather than on Jesus, I'm asking something out of her that I could only ask out of God. And she is asking something out of me that she could only ask out of God. And we would ultimately be disappointing each other. It's actually not fair to put somebody else in that blank. It's giving them an expectation. You can't ever make a mistake. You can't ever let me go. You can't ever be anything less than a perfectly consistent and firm foundation. Other people cannot be that for us. Careers, money, possessions, teams, whatever it might be. It cannot be that for us. And I know that this is really difficult because a lot of us believe the thing. If I lost this, I really wouldn't be me anymore. And so we're trying to hide that from the rest of the world, right? Like we're trying to hide what the world might see and realize if I lost my money, if I lost my power, if I lost my reputation, if I lost whatever it might be, then what would they see? The mask is gone. Now they see the real me. What is that going to be like if they see the truth? Now, a lot of people in this world will tell you, if I find out the truth about you, it's not going to be good news. And we've seen that time and again. People, the truth is exposed about them and they're quickly dismissed from society, whatever it might be. I don't know. But Jesus has a different way of approaching it. We're studying the book of Luke, but I want to dabble real quickly in the book of John. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, the truth will set you free. And isn't that interesting? Jesus, God in the flesh, doesn't say memorizing every Bible verse will set you free. He doesn't say following every law perfectly will set you free. He doesn't say perfect attendance will set you free. He says the truth will set you free. And what is the truth? The truth about Danny Householder is I am inconsistent. I am a hypocrite. And it's not because I'm always up to something immoral. It's because I'm so often trying to play a part that doesn't match with my heart. The reality, the truth is I'm a sinner in need of grace. And Jesus says, that's good truth because I've got it for you. I've got exactly what you need. For Jesus, the truth is good enough. A lot of us are falling for the trick to believe, if I lost that thing, I wouldn't be me. And it's not true. That is not your foundation. It's a log in our eye. Faulty foundations that just end up as logs in our eyes are actually skewing reality. It's not true. If you lost that thing, you actually still could be you. You'd still have God, the one who made you. I mean, it's beautiful with God. God created the universe who doesn't just see the mask, he sees through the mask, but he loves us anyway. It is such a beautiful thing that God gives us. Toward the end of Luke's gospel, he's describing Jesus' death and it points this out even more for us. It says that Jesus is dying on a cross. Now, I'm not saying that this is the ultimate meaning of the cross, but for me, it's really beautiful imagery, isn't it? What's a cross? A cross is two beams connected to each other. And as I'm reading this passage this week, I'm thinking about how as Jesus is hanging on this cross, it's like he's dying and putting to death these beams that I've called my foundation. All these parts that don't line up with my heart that I think the rest of the world has to believe about me. And what if they found out it wasn't true? It's like he's putting those things to death. But then as he's on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. And why? For they don't know what they're doing. And what is he insinuating when he's saying that? They don't know what they're doing but I know what they're doing. Jesus understands you. 
He knows why you're doing what you're doing. He knows you're a complicated person. He knows what's really happening in your heart, and he knows all the different parts that you've been trying to play. He knows. He knows when you've been honest. He knows when you've lied about it. He knows when you've been a hypocrite. He knows when you're genuine. He knows when you're just trying to keep up with an image, and he also knows when you actually get to be your authentic self. That's the person he created you to be. That's freedom. Here's the truth about Jesus, and it is so beautiful. Jesus knows me. I mean, he really knows me. He sees through the mask, and Jesus loves me. That's the truth. And the truth is good enough. What if this was something that you told yourself multiple times throughout the week? Jesus loves me. This is the truth. I want to invite you to actually practice this, to, to say this, ready? So on the count of three, we're, we're going to read this entire screen together, right? One, two, three. Jesus knows me. Jesus loves me. This is the truth, and the truth is good enough. I need to practice it one more time, so would you join me in practicing it one more time? Here we go. Jesus knows me. Jesus loves me. This is the truth, and the truth is good enough. Wow. That feels safe, doesn't it? That feels firm. That feels like a foundation. That doesn't feel like ice that you're going to be slipping on. Doesn't feel like a beam that could fall in a storm. It's actually safe. He knows you. He loves you. He's not going anywhere. That's the truth. And it is good enough. So when we think about Jesus' invitation to us to actually hear his teaching and obey and listen to his teaching, and he tells us to build our house on a firm foundation, what does that actually mean? Here are three points for us. It's not exhaustive, but here are three takeaways that I think we can take from it. The first is building our house on a firm foundation, building our lives on a rock, it has to be persistent. We've got to dig deep. Think about the context in which Jesus is sharing this story. These days, when we think about drilling through rocks, we think about these powerful machines just forcing their way through this seemingly immovable object, right? But in those days, they didn't have drills, did they? They had little chisels. And they just, I mean, for hours upon hours upon hours. But they didn't settle with the surface. Instead, they would dig deep. How many of us are settling with the surface type stuff? I think some of the best breakthroughs that I've ever been a part of as a pastor is when we're sitting in the office, one-on-one, -on -one, talking to each other, and someone says, you know what? I do think I want to be referred to a counselor. You know what? I do think I finally want to tell my family the truth about something I've been hiding for a long time. You know what? I do think that it's finally time for me to address this issue that I've been keeping from my friend, but it's actually breaking our relationship. It's digging deep. It's not staying at the service, but it takes persistence. I mean, it takes faithfulness to this integrity, right? Like, I'm not going to give up just because it's hard. But then also it takes community. So many of us, we have our entire view of ourselves just based off of a mirror, right? And you only see a mirror from one angle. And I, I'm not talking about the mirrors that could surround you from different places, right? Because even then, you know, like you're turning and twisting and moving and all that stuff. But building our house on the rock, Christianity is not a solo pursuit. It is a community lifestyle. I mean, how much better is it when people who really love you, people who really know you, and people who really love you, are willing to talk to you about growth points in your life? All of a sudden, it's not so scary when that person's coming up to you and says, okay, there's a little speck in your eye. Can I help you get it out? I promise I won't hurt you. 
and you trust them. It takes community. A lot of you are realizing this as we're reading the whole Holy Bible together, right? It takes community. We get to talk about this with one another. We get to talk about what Jesus is teaching me, what Jesus is teaching you. This happens in community. And then the third thing is we get to rest in the foundation. I was kind of already alluding to this right before this slide about it feels safe, right? Like there's something about this stool. It actually feels safe. But even beneath the stool, there's this stage, and this stage feels safe, right? I could jump on it. I could run on it. I could sit on it, right? Like every single week, it's kind of scary to get up here, but, you know, on a physical, uh, from a physical uh, standpoint, like I feel safe, right? Like this thing is sturdy. But so many of us are living our lives, like, and Jesus is telling us, like, hey, like I'm a firm foundation. We're like, I don't know. And we're like treating Jesus like ice. Rest. Relax. There are people in this world that tell us, you need to impress me. Less of you for more of me. I only take, you must give. And Jesus is saying, I'm the God who gives. I'm not going anywhere. Stop treating me like ice. You don't have to walk slowly. Rest. And for some of us, resting means I finally get to move. I finally get to do something. In the book of Joshua, and if you're reading uh, the whole Holy Bible in a year, this week, if you're on the Old Testament track, um, you'll open up the book of Joshua. Joshua has been one of the most transformative books for me in my life. It started when I was about 11 years old, and night after night, I'd go down to my parents' room just scared. I mean, so scared, shaking, crying. I couldn't even name exactly what it was, but I was just so afraid. I remember one night, my mom took me to the kitchen, and she pulled out a Bible, and she opened up Joshua chapter 1. And she started reading to me. In the book of Joshua, chapter 1, there's a man named Joshua, and he's called to a pretty big task, and it's scary. And I wonder how worried and, and nervous and inadequate he felt. And I wonder if he felt like he had to put on a mask. See, Joshua, his mentor, Moses, had been leading the Israelite people for 40 years. Later on in the Bible, Moses is going to be called the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. I mean, he's got some big sandals to fill. Maybe they wore shoes. I don't know. And Joshua is called to fill those. I wonder if Joshua felt like he was going to have to wear a mask. She's going to have to do my best impersonation of, of Moses. But Joshua is Joshua. I wonder how he felt. God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, Joshua. I wonder if he's scared. God has a word for Joshua's fear, and I believe that God has a word for our fears, for the things that make us feel like our lives are so shaky, like we're not living on a firm foundation. God says to Joshua just a few verses later, I will be with you as I was with Moses. It wasn't Moses who made Moses strong. Don't wear his mask. Wear my love. I will not fail you. I will not abandon you. And this is the verse that I said out loud every single night for years as I dealt with that fear. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It doesn't matter if you're 11 or if you're 30, some of those fears still happen. 
And just reading it in English, you already get it, right? God's saying, hey, I'm going to be with you so you don't have to be afraid. But there's something so powerful and so beautiful about the way God says it. There's a slight variation in what God says between verse 5 and verse 9. If you take a look at the Hebrew, there's a difference between how God says no and not in one verse and no and not in another verse. It, it looks like this. I will be with you as I was with Moses. And then he says, I will all fail you, which means I will not fail you. The all abandon you. Excuse me, not all, it's low. Sorry, I'm reading forward in English then you have to read backwards in Hebrew. So let me read that again, ready? I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will low, which means no, fail you. Um, the low abandon you. I will not fail you. I will not abandon you. Now remember in chapter 9, he's going to say no and not again. Do not be afraid, not discouraged. But here it's a little different. Do you notice it? The two letters are switched around. And this time he's not saying low for no. Instead he's saying all for no. They both mean no, but they're different words. Now he's saying this is my command. Be strong and courageous. All be afraid. Do not be afraid. The all, which means the the is the and. The all discouraged. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Why is a different word being used for the same meaning? Low is a special kind of no. It's the kind of no that we read in the Ten Commandments. Do not have any other gods before me. Do not steal. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not bear false witness. These are unconditional no's. Never, ever, ever. There will never be a time when this can ever happen. Never. Meanwhile, there's the word all. And that's another word for no, but this is how God uses, this is what God uses to describe Joshua's feelings. And it's a conditional kind of no. So what he's saying to Joshua is, I will never, and I mean never, ever, never, ever not be with you. I can't not be with you. I'm God. I'm consistent. I have so much integrity. I will never leave you. Low. Unconditional. Now, Joshua, don't be afraid. All be afraid. Which means what? There are moments in your life when things will look really scary. And just on your own, with our own foundations and with our own masks, we would be afraid. We would be scared and we would have every reason to be that. But conditionally speaking, Joshua, you don't have to be all afraid, all discouraged. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. But that needs a because. And the because is I am with you. When you are faced with the fears in your life and you're feeling really shaky and you realize your inconsistencies and you know your masks, remember how God is a firm foundation. Remember that he cannot go anywhere because he's promised you he would be with you. Remember that he is solid as a rock. Remember he is consistent. Remember his integrity. He's not going anywhere. And while we are these conditional people where we have these highs and these lows, we are inconsistent. Our God is not. And the full power of God's courage shows up with us in every place that we walk into. And when the storms come, not if the, they come, when the storms come, we don't have to be afraid because the consistent, firm foundation is with us wherever we go. The never-changing, integrous and I had to look up the adjective for integrity, but the never-changing God 
is ever changing me. Oh, you bet I'm inconsistent. You bet I'm changing. Well, I hope I'm growing. I know that in some ways I'm taking steps back on, every, on a few days here and there or every day. But he's changing me. The Bible tells us one day we'll be like Jesus. Don't get me wrong. We're not the ones who saved the world. We won't be God. But we'll reflect him clearly in the kingdom of God when we're living as true humans as he intended us to live in true creation, in his true kingdom forever. He is so integrous. He has so much integrity. He showed it at his table at the Last Supper with his disciples. He's sitting at a table with his disciples and what was it that drove them, right? Because these are guys who, when Jesus is on the cross, they are running away. They are inconsistent. They're hypocrites. They said they would be with Jesus and then they leave. They're hiding. Peter puts on a mask. I never knew Jesus. I'm not that guy. Meanwhile, after they see that Jesus has risen from the dead, after they see that fear, that death itself has nothing on the power of their God, all of a sudden, they're unafraid. The masks come off. Look at the New Testament. There are so many stories. I mean, like every other chapter is like a, a major mess up by one of the disciples. Why did they have such courage and security to take off those masks and tell about themselves? Because they knew the Jesus that rose from the dead and loved them. The Jesus that knew them through and through, loved them through and through. That is the truth and that is good enough. Jesus is sitting at this table with his disciples. He knows what they're going to do. They're inconsistent people, but still he takes the bread. He gives thanks. He breaks it. He says, this is my body given for you. And when you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. You look in a lot of mirrors, remember your God. Then again, after supper, Jesus took the cup. He gave thanks. He poured it out for all of them to drink. He said, this cup is the new covenant. It is my blood. It is shed for you and for the forgiveness of all sins. And when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's go ahead and pray the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.